Hello everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, and thank you very much for checking out the show today. But, as per usual, and if you are a regular listener, you know by now, I am not alone. Let's say on this occasion, if I'm Rumble, he is Frenzy, it's the one and only Mr. Andy Hanley. How are you doing today, good sir? Why, why can't I be Astro Train? I mean, okay, honestly, <laughs> would you pick Frenzy or Astro Train, if you had the choice? I mean, Astro Train transforms into two different things, and those two things are a train and a spaceship. So, I mean, he is he is pretty awesome. Like As as, as we will find, we are not the only people to, to believe this, um, but uh, like Astro Train is pretty cool. And I'm sort of kind of gutted that I didn't have the toy as a kid, so, you know, there is that as well. Do you know what? I'm just gonna, let's just, I'm just going to say this now. I'm going to derail the episode as I'm one to do at the very start. Little spoiler in case you're not watching the episodes with us people. Astro Train makes his debut on these episodes that we're watching. As soon as Astro Train appeared on screen, Andy, and the circumstance in which it happened, I had so many memories come back from my childhood. So much so, I really started overthinking about the Astro Train toy. <laughs> and I then started Googling Astro Train. And I discovered there was actually a, a, a literal reissue of the original Astro Train toy released about three or four years ago. And I've started like hunting around on eBay and stuff for it. And it's like, I'm tempted. I'm really tempted. Yeah, so this is this is the, the rabbit hole that I kind of refuse to go down. Because I know if I start buying Transformers at any kind of rate, that it will never end. And then I'll just have another expensive hobby to like adds to the list of other expensive hobbies that I already have. Um, so it's just like, no, I, I, shall just, I should just look at the pictures on Google and admire them. And, you know, continue to feel sad for my neglected childhood. Where I only had Blitzwing, like, such hardship. Um, <laughs> would, would, would it make it worse than if I told you that I did come across a Blitzwing Astro Train 2-pack? Oh yeah, I, that that totally that totally makes sense. I might I, if if I do delve into my Transformers toy box, which I still have, I'll have to find my my Blitzwing because he was also awesome because he was a tank and a and a jet. So you know, pretty good, but you know, not as not a train and not a space shuttle is all I'm saying. Yeah, so I uh, I I very I'm currently in that rabbit hole of looking at Astro Train toys, but admittedly, when it comes to toys, the only one I've I've really got my eye on at the moment from new stuff that's being announced. There are others which I'm thinking that would be really cool, but I think it's the Coronation Starscream that's coming yeah. out soon, based on the on the actual movie. That's the one I've got my eye on currently that I'm thinking I'm really tempted, but I don't think it's out till April or something. It's quite a way away. Yeah, yeah, I, I recall kind of like seeing that and being surprised that. I, I don't know whether it's just the state of the world or whatever that they didn't make it in time for like all the Transformers movie anniversary stuff. Um, also disappointed that, that that toy doesn't just crumble into a zillion pieces if you put it next to like the Galvatron toy. But, you know, I guess maybe that's asking too much. <laughs> Folks, before we go any further, as mentioned, we will be talking about specific Transformers episodes today. We will be discussing episodes 21 through 24 of season two. We have been watching these on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, the official channel from Hasbro, which has basically 
all of the Transformers episodes. That channel also dictates what order we watch the episodes in as well. Speaking of YouTube, there is actually a video version of this podcast you are listening to if you're checking out the audio version. If you go on YouTube and search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, you can watch Andy and I discuss these episodes. And as in the case of our last episode, you can see me randomly pull out a VHS tape without Andy having any warning whatsoever, <laughs> which was good fun. <laughs> It, it is indeed. It also sent us down a weird like Google rabbit hole of looking at UK VHS Transformers tapes on various very old websites and, and marvelling at their wonderful graphic design. Indeed. And who knows, there may be some other things coming up in the very near future that is worth checking out the video version of the podcast for as well. If you'd like to be kept up to date on the podcast via social media, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at Starscreams Pod. And if you want to drop us an email, you can do so using the email address starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. So Andy, we have got four episodes to talk about once again today. They being the following. Blaster Blues. A Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court. The God Gambit. And The Core. When it comes to these four episodes... General overarching thoughts on what you what you encountered over the past week. Um, I mean, kind of, this is this is a pretty mixed bag. Like you know, again, couple couple of a decent character episodes. One of which is actually really interesting in terms of some of its subject matter, which we can get into. Um, by far the dumbest episode that we've had thus far. Um, but to be fair, like the episode kind of knows it and owns it so i i'm you know I'm, I'm kind of into that a little bit um and then there's the core which i don't really remember too much about even though it's the last of these episodes that i watched because it's just like yeah that was that was fine yeah i agree with your summary it is a mixed bag like you say very easily the dumbest episode we have come across if i had to sort of pick one uh, i mean Astro Train, I've already talked about. I'm just so happy we get to see it. And this, the first episode we're going to be talking about in a few moments, I think is the strongest of the lot. But surprisingly, I think that the God Gambit episode, it, it caught me off guard, actually, as to how good of a story it ended up being. Mm. Because I kind of, going in, as the episode started, I sort of had a preconceived notion of where this could be going. And it actually blew my expectations out of the water as to how, how coherent it actually was as a story. Yeah, yeah, kind of likewise, I thought, you know, looking at it, it was one of those episodes where, like, I vaguely knew of the plot and kind of expected it to be the really dumb sort of lowest common denominator version of that, but it's actually a pretty smart episode and pretty mature in kind of its subject matter and the way it handles some of that stuff, so I actually, yeah, I, I found it a really fascinating episode. Um, that that it, it was the big surprise out of these four because I expected it to be a like ah, Astro Train is cool, but this is a pretty like you know by the numbers episode. But it, it actually had had something kind of special going on there. But before we get to that episode, everyone, let's go in chronological order as we discuss episode twenty one, Blaster Blues. We begin with Carly, Spike, and Blaster, in his cassette deck form, enjoying a, I've written down, rock concert, question mark, Andy, because I wasn't too sure actually what kind of music it was in the grand scheme of things, but they are in an outdoor amphitheatre enjoying said concert. 
Yeah, I mean, the only note that I wrote for that is this band is terrible. So, I mean, <laughs> if terrible if terrible music is a genre, then they, they are, that is their genre. But I very much watched this and been like, man, these guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like the fact that it, it, it turned out that Blaster was being the Autobot equivalent of a, of a tape trading bootlegger. Because he was recording the broadcast effect, well, recording the music and broadcasting it to all of the fellow Autobots, which they, most of them, were not happy about. Except for Cosmos or Cosmo. Andy, actually, before we go any further, is it Cosmo or Cosmos? It's Cosmos. Yeah. Cos- okay. Cosmo is, is an entirely different uh, character that has nothing to do with Transformers. Yeah, because uh, and then that's from Guardians of the Galaxy, quite frankly. But yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was, I was. That was my deep Cosmo and Dibs deep cut for like people <laughs> of a very particular age that I remember, like you know, preschool kids TV. <laughs> no, for some reason I had it in my brain while watching this episode. It's Cosmo, and I was getting really angry. And then I thought, <laughs> you know what? I'll just ask Andy when we get to the podcast. Then we can discuss it there. Yeah, no, it is it is indeed Cosmos. But I, my, my particular enjoyment out of everybody not enjoying this music is even Optimus Prime, who, like, he's had to deal with a bunch of, like, Autobot screw-ups, and he's normally very magnanimous about it and very calm and collected and explains the, the situation. But not this time. He's just like, shut up, Blaster. He literally like, says, shut up. <laughs> yeah, he's just having none of it. Like, he's not enjoying this at all. Oh, it's such good. In fact, you know, I, I wrote down some dialogue to emphasise where we were at at Autobot HQ when they were receiving this broadcast. Optimus Prime says, My audio receptors, what's that noise? Hoist responds with, Humans call it music. Sparkplug says, Not this human. <laughs> and Jazz, while he's dancing in the background, responds with, Sounds alright to me. Yeah, like bonus points for Jazz's dancing through this entire scene. Because it's not even like a brief thing. He's just there like the entire time, just just like grooving out. And it's just like, this is, that's kind of great. Now, we've kind of buried a small lead in this discussion, Andy, because at Autobot HQ, what they were trying to do when this broadcast came through was just casually, no, no reference whatsoever to how this came to be, but... Prime is trying to ar- arrange target practice with Omega Supreme, just out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that's a weird, like, th- th- this is one of the things that really kind of blew my mind about this episode, is you'd think a character of that magnitude, and a toy of that magnitude, to be mm-hmm. fair, like, I never had an Omega Supreme either. This is going to be like Andy's kind of, like, therapy session here. I, I never um, had one either, mate, if that's any consolation. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure... I'm not sure whether it was even one of those things that was readily available in the UK. But yeah, anyway, it's a massive Transformer. You'd have thought if anybody was going to get an origin story right off the bat, it would be Omega Bloody Supreme. <laughs> like, even, like, Yes, he sounds like a cat food, but he's a pretty <laughs> massive robot. So you'd have thought that they'd give him some kind of introduction. But no, it's just like, oh, by the way, we've got this massive space shuttle robot man outside. Did we not mention him previously? Uh, so th- th- that was that was very much a from previous episode podcast of rather than going who because I know who to make a supreme is it was more like wait what and then I just wound back and double checked that I didn't go crazy. We then cut to an observatory where a scientist who we come to find out is named Professor Haley. Can you put two and two together on maybe what that's in reference to, folks? We'll come back to that. Is giving a speech about quote how there must be intelligent life waiting as we are to be contacted. My Voltronic Galaxer 
will scramble his words into pulsations, allowing alien life to translate them into their own language. Quote. Voltronic... I can't even say it. Voltronic Galaxer, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whoever came up with that name kind of deserves a rise, because, I mean, we've been sort of <laughs> we've been sort of poking fun at some of the, the gadget names in this series of late, because it sort of felt like they were maybe running a bit low on ideas, and it feels like somebody somebody had been, like, drinking the good stuff for this episode. It's like, no, I, I've, got, I've got what you need for this one. It's like, Voltronic Galaxer? Galaxa? It's like, I don't know where that came from, but okay. That sounds like a cool gadget. And also, in case people... Uh, random trivia note, Andy, because I did actually look this up. The, apparently, when the episode was broadcast, there was... I think Haley's comet was starting to enter into the solar system or something. Oh, So it was kind of on on point and on topic for Haley and an observatory to be conveniently shoehorned into a storyline. I mean, yeah, I guess that makes sense because, yeah, I remember like Haley's comment being a big thing for a period around then. But like, I wonder. I mean, I guess that was maybe deliberate and not just some kind of crazy coincidence. But like, kudos to them if so for being topical. There you go. Now, I mentioned he was going, Professor Haley, that is going to record a message. I decided to write this down verbatim, Andy. If if you're gonna record a message. And the pulsations will then be sent away so that other life could interpret them. Here is the message we would be sending. To whom it may concern, I, Professor Haley, on behalf of my fellow scientists and the planet Earth, invite you to join us in the spirit of friendship. I mean, I just, I, I literally laughed out loud at the to whom it may concern. <laughs> yeah, right. Because that's just like, that's, you know, you might as well just like, as per my previous email or something. Like, you know, you're just being very, you know, that that sounds like you're about to get a telling off in, in some kind of email. But uh, hey, like it's, it's, it's difficult to record these things on the spot, I guess. So, you know, g- commendations to Professor Haley for, yeah, the rest of it's pretty good. So, you know, just needs to work on the, the intro. Now, while he's saying this, Decepticons are flying through the air, and by the time he finishes the speech, Megatron responds with something to the effect of, We appreciate your hospitality, Professor! <laughs> in a wonderful moment. Starscream then blows a hole in the roof of the observatory, which Megatron is annoyed at because he he just tells Starscream, You could destroy the Voltronic Galaxy. Meanwhile, back at Autobot HQ, Still fighting with the broadcast from Blaster, they receive a distress call from the Professor, and Blaster is told to turn down the volume, or, or as you as you mentioned, Andy, I should say, Blaster turns down the volume because he is literally told to shut up by Optimus Prime. And they roll out to the Observatory, where, by the time they get there, Megatron has taken the Voltronic Galaxy, despite the protests of the Professor, who has also just flung off the device he's trying to hold on to. And just lands back first and is somewhat knocked out. We then see some train tracks as Megatron is flying away holding this device. And there is a train going along them. Megatron then opens a compartment on said train and says, Take good care of the cargo, Astro Train. Nothing must happen to it. Astro Train then proceeds along the train line before coming out of the other side of a tunnel and going into fly mode, taking to the sky, and then Megatron and the Seekers also get on board, and they fly off into space. 
My note in all caps, Andy, for when I saw Astro Train was simply Astro Train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely fair, and like a good. I mean, in terms of like you know, selling a few toys, it's actually a pretty good intro scene of like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a train. Oh, it's a train that turns into a spaceship. That's so cool. And then other Transformers get inside it, which is probably the disappointment when you get the toy and realize that other Transformers can't fit inside it. <laughs> I I think this is probably one of the best introductions to a, a new randomly appearing Transformer because it it pretty much shows you everything you need to know, barring what his primary form if you will would be when he's transformed yeah yeah certainly better than say omega supreme (laughs) in terms of like first scenes in a in a cartoon (laughs) the autobots arrive at the observatory and of course they are too late jazz making a random quip saying that they were held up by a musical diversion everyone is trying to figure out why the decepticons could want the device the professor in suggesting that it could be to unscramble air codes or intercept radio transmissions, Prime vowing to get the device back. At Autobot HQ, the Autobots have been, well, sorry, various Autobots, I should say, have been dispatched to multiple locations. Huffer and Trax, for example, have been deployed somewhere, and Power Glide is flying about the place with Carly and Spike on board. It's them that Prime checks in with via radio, but there is still no sign of any Decepticon activity. Random additional note, Carly is also specifically mentioning that they have flown halfway around the hemisphere to try and find Decepticons. That's a long way, Andy. Yeah, I mean, again, like, you know, any, any mathematicians in the room, please let us know, like, you know, how, how quickly Powerglide was travelling to cross, like, you know, half the planet in, what, probably about, like, an hour or something, because I, I suspect that's significantly faster than your average plane. Now, remember how Cosmos made an appearance earlier? Well, he's back. He's on patrol in space. He's one of the other deployed Autobots. But this time, he's got Blaster inside with him, who is actually upset at that point because he can't get any radio frequencies to play some tunes. First world problems for that year, I guess. Now, at this point, they find a Decepticon base on the moon. If on your bingo card for the episode, everybody, you had a new Decepticon base... You can cross that off now. Andy, a moon base. Such a cool idea. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's a significant upgrade on, like, New York last week. I guess it's like, (laughs) well, if we can't have New York, I guess we'll just have the moon. Um, And it's, yeah, like, very random. Many questions. How did they get up there? How did they build a base up there? Etc, etc. But yeah, sure. A base on the moon. That's pretty cool. And again, it's sort of, it's really interesting how this series has started to spread its wings kind of figuratively but also kind of literally in terms of going off world and you know we get to see that in future episode as well but it's sort of you know you think about how ab- almost completely like earth based season one is barring a bit of a trip to cybertron and, and all the space bridge stuff but like you know we're really kind of getting around a bit more and not just being in kind of random ravines every week Cosmos and Blaster try to get a good vantage point, but Megatron spots them as he is telling his comrades that this, meaning the device that they've got in there, along with the Voltronic Galaxa, will jam the airwaves between here and Earth. That's a lot of range, it's got to be said. 
Astro Train is then tasked with taking care of the Autobot, and we get a short chase sequence that shows off Astro Train as a formidable foe, demonstrating his speed, power, and the fact, Andy, he's got a freaking tractor beam, using that to capture Cosmos and Blaster inside. Yeah, everybody loves a tractor beam, like one of my favourite kind of random sci-fi things that will probably never happen in real life. Um, <laughs> yeah, always always good to see. I mean, we should also say on the flip side of this, Cosmos, once again, kind of rubbish. Like, I mean, Blaster very clearly tells him to, like, you know, be careful, like, be stealthy. And he basically lands, like, outside Megatron's window. And, like, Megatron just, like, looks outside, like, oh, it's Autobots. We should probably stop them. And it's like, well, that was a really bad kind of, like, stealth infiltration. Like, you know, there's... At this point, Autobots really desperately in need of their own laser beak, it has to be said. Like, you know, Decepticons very good at stealthy infiltration. Autobots kind of terrible at it. They either send Jetfire to do it, or, you know, they send Cosmos who just, like, lands outside the window and waves at them, basically. Anecdotally, because I genuinely can't remember slash don't know the answer, do the Autobots ever get an equivalent of Laserbeak? Um, kind of. I mean, Blaster ends up with a bunch of tapes that are kind of like small. I, I think some mm. of those are supposedly kind of like espionage experts. Um, I think that's kind of the closest they get. They never really get a full-blown laser beak. For some reason, like, you know, Decepticons seem to have the monopoly on kind of flying creatures as cassette tapes because they get rat bat later on as well. Um, but yeah, like, the, the Autobots get a few kind of cassettes of their own, which, weirdly, you'd have thought that they would appear right off the bat with Blaster, but, you know, we, we see nothing of them in this episode, sadly. Now inside the Decepticon moon base, having captured them, Megatron makes Astro Train weld Blaster into place, quote-unquote, which is a bit weird because Blaster is just kind of effectively sat down on the ground <laughs> in an awkward position, so I was a little bit confused by that, but sure, whatever. And also makes note that he will make an excellent trans-scrambler, as Megatron puts it, and Cosmos is is restrained against a wall, and is told he will serve as a power booster. Thundercracker and Starscream are then told to return to Earth and activate a console inside the base that makes the entire base become a beacon of sorts, sending out large beams of energy that we immediately see causing problems on Earth. An airport base's control tower is basically just rendered utterly useless, and there are planes avoiding each other left, right, and center. It also impacted Power Glide's ability to communicate with them as well, even though he is able to assist in actually helping the planes to land. That was a really cool moment. The beam has also impacted just general radio-based communications. It caused a train to derail because there was no communication, and that resulted in, in that exploding and there being a forest fire. I mentioned air traffic control. There's also a problem where in a blizzard-like, in a blizzard-covered mountain... You know, you may get some traffic warnings via a loudspeaker. Even that doesn't work. It is, it's going so bad, Andy, that for once, Teletran's gone down without actually being destroyed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in a break from the norm. Um, but yeah, I, I really like all of these scenes. I mean, I, I guess I just enjoy a good disaster. Um, but I'm 
I like the idea of, again, you know, we, we've sort of talked a bit in the past about, you know, your typical Decepticon get all the energy scheme. And like, this is kind of that, but again, it's something that has a different angle to it that is sort of interesting and a little bit sciencey and yeah, maybe a little bit educational as a kid. It's like, oh yeah, like radio waves, like think of all the applications that they have in everyday use. Imagine if, you know, somebody made a moon base and made them all stop. I'm using a tape deck that transforms into a robot. Um, but, you know, that's like, you know, it's one of those things that I, I always really like that kind of thing that sort of, it's it's a cool plot device, but it's also kind of a little thought provoking. Like, oh yeah, like this simple thing is like so relied upon and could, you know, be switched off by somebody nefarious if they wanted. And and all of that stuff is really cool. It's, it's, it's really well realized, you know, kind of watching planes almost crashing and, you know, trains actually crashing and, you know, fires and snow and all of that stuff so yeah i really enjoyed that whole like sequence of events like that was kind of like the highlight of this episode for me it's like oh this is a really good like cause and effect kind of demonstration yeah and to sort of go on to the next point because i like what it actually led to most of all which was getting to see autobots using their abilities in really cool ways and i hate to phrase it this way andy actually be useful in some instances <laughs> yeah and again it's, it's that break from you know usually at this point you just get the autobot decepticon battle which you know can be cool there are fun things you can do with that but it's kind of nice to be a more sort of indirect conflict of like this isn't for now we kind of have to park like the actual core problem and just fix the immediate issues at hand um and just go rescue some people and again i, I th think like across this series like thus far those are sometimes some of the coolest moments it's like you know we had it in i think it's like season one you get a bunch of that with like the ultimate doom where they're you know having to save people from you know environmental issues because of the whole space bridge shenanigans um and this is kind of almost a, an extrapolation of that where you get to see a bunch of that kind of interesting stuff that is just over and beyond you know pew pew shoot the lasers at the decepticons I alluded to it, so just to elaborate on that a bit, the Autobots go and help where it is needed. Red Alert and Inferno put out the forest fire, Power Glide, as mentioned, is guiding planes, and Ratchet, Trailbreaker, and Hoist helping people trapped in the blizzard. But of course, the, the Jet Decepticons make their presence known in the various locations as well. In the case of the actual blizzard that I mentioned, the Autobots are buried under snow, and Prime having been the equivalent of knocked out essentially at the airport and power glide nearly getting shot down as well were it not for spike and carly to activate the very conveniently placed in the cockpit area of power glide the emergency jetpack andy <laughs> just out yeah, of nowhere which, it's there sure whatever yeah which which was somehow also enough to kind of keep power glide airborne which you know again i have questions but sure that i guess that works Megatron's voice then appears on the airwaves or literally around the world, making it known he is in control and the price for putting it all back together and leaving them be? Andy, of all the things Megatron could want, what do you think it could have been? I think it was a box of celebrations. Ah, oh, you're so close, mate. <laughs> it was the entire world's energy resources. Yeah, same thing, same thing. I mean, arguably, yes actually. <laughs> that being coal, gas, electricity, all of it, he says. Now, during this speech, Blaster is able to secretly tap into the feed that's being fed through him, 
Keep going with me on this, people. Just keep going. And he is able to start playing back music from the concert that we saw earlier. Power Glide Carly and Spike are still airborne, somehow at this point, and are able to trace the transmission back to the moon. <laughs> Again, we'll just go with that. We won't question it. Unfortunately, as they're in the process of trying to get Optimus Prime back to HQ, by literally just holding him like a magnet, <laughs> quite frankly, <laughs> via a cable hanging out of Power Glide, and Power Glide is also running out of fuel as well in the emergency jet booster. So everything is not going well at all. But the one thing that this did do, Andy, that bad music, it actually revived the Autobots that had lost consciousness in the blizzard under the snow. So good job, Blaster. Good job. Yeah, yeah, that that'll that'll work out in the end. I mean, I was I was half hoping like as uh, just just to like really lean into the gag that like when Blaster starts playing that over like Megatron's speech that that's the point where humanity just like gives in like right take all the power if you'll make that stop that's <laughs> you can have anything but uh, but no it didn't go that far. We then cut to Omega Supreme properly for the first time, not just being referenced on a video wall where Carly is trying to fix and reactivate Optimus Prime. Omega P Supreme says they must go to the moon, then loads Prime into him, into his cargo hangar bit, and then Power Glide, Carly and Spike, now conveniently in spacesuits without any warning whatsoever, get on board and blast off. At the moon base, Megatron realises that Blaster has tapped into the feed, and then Omega Supreme arrives and is getting ready for battle. We see his transformation sequence for the first time, and it's so damn good, Andy. <laughs> Omega Supreme just looks like such a badass Transformer. Yeah, yeah, they, they really get a, do a good job of kind of putting across, like, the sense of scale. Because, you know, we've had big robots before, like, you know, you, you kind of get it with Devastator a bit, but, like, the fact that you kind of very quickly get the impression like oh even like devastate is going to be dwarfed by omega supreme because he's just freaking huge um you know he just kind of works really well there and, and again it's it's just so weird that i mean this is like a blaster episode but it's kind of like omega supreme that sort of steals the spotlight and you again you just think like why didn't you get like a proper showcase episode to introduce yourself and just be big and awesome Agreed. And what was the first thing we saw Omega Supreme do other than transform? He just grabs Megatron. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> you know. Problem solved. Series ends. Credits roll. <laughs> Megatron destroyed. Astro Train then gets involved, saying, looks like the big boy needs a bit of training. Get it? Get the pun? Training? Yeah, that was, I don't know, that, that was still a weird line. I, I wrote that down just with like a bunch of question marks after because I, I felt very uncomfortable, but to be honest. I mean, if it if if the tedious link of that was because he then transformed into a train and ran into the Achilles of the Mega Supreme, then sure, we've all been there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it was it, maybe, maybe not the best kind of snappy one-liner we've had in, in this series, but, you know, you, you can't knock them all out of the park. Hmm. And uh, I should also add, the way that Omega Supreme counteracts this is that Astro Train starts flying and Omega Supreme just grabs him and throws him. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, again, it's like really <laughs> top-notch, like, Omega Supreme content is just like... And, and again, I mean, it is really good at just showing, like, how massive he is. Like, you know, other Transformers that nobody can really lay a glove on, he just, like, grabs them. And it's like, yep, got ya. <laughs> and it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. Prime then regains consciousness and we get a little tussle between Prime and Megatron on the moon. A really cool visual. 
at that moment, at that moment, excuse me, Blaster and Cosmos inject some additional power into the into the base and it blows up. I was a bit confused by that, but sure. They are then freed. Megatron's run away and such, and Prime tells Blaster the following quote. Remember, your volume, like any capability, is a responsibility. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that sort of felt... That had far too much gravitas for, like, how this episode started, of just, like, you know, playing some rock music or whatever the heck it was too loud, but, you know... <laughs> Fair, fair, fair enough. The, the moral of this episode was duly noted, Optimus Prime. Thank you. And then Blaster just starts turning up the volume and runs away like a child that's done something wrong. <laughs> and, and Prime just chases him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fantastic. And that's uh, how an, the episode another, ends. <laughs> yeah. Another, another great day in the office for Optimus Prime. <laughs> this... This had some really, really great moments in it, but as an episode, it is pretty flipping random, Andy. But like I say, some top-notch moments in this episode. Yeah, it's one of those episodes where you can kind of see, like, you can almost see the whiteboard in, like, the the writer's room for this, of just like, look, these are the things we need to cover. Like, we need, it's a blaster episode... They've just dropped this massive robot toy on our desk. We've got to introduce him somehow without like having any time or inclination to do it. And, you know, the rest of it kind of gets stitched together around that. And you can see like every part of it is, especially around the Omega Supreme stuff, is just like, right, well, we can't have any other Autobots that could get into space. So it's like, okay, Cosmos gets kidnapped. It's like, you know, we can't have Optimus Prime just like kicking everyone's ass. Okay, Optimus Prime gets injured. Just like ticking off all the other boxes for Omega Supreme to like be supreme. Um, and, you know, you, you can really see sort of the, the wiring under the board of the writing of this one. But yeah, it does have some good highlights. You know, I, I like the whole airwave jamming thing as an idea. Um, it's another one of those weird spotlight episodes where I like I feel like the, the Autobot and the spotlight kind of gets a bit of a raw deal because like I mean Bla again it's why this is like the Blaster gets a bit of a moment to turn things around but you know he doesn't he's, he's like he's basically kidnapped for most of the episode or like you know he's upset people for the other chunk of it he doesn't really get to to, to shine all that much and then gets thoroughly upstaged by Omega Supreme um so you know bit bit harsh on old Blaster for his his kind of spotlight episode some may say this is his punishment for how the whole thing with Ironhide in in the back with Ravage in the last episode happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not 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 particularly good luck for him, I guess. Yeah, he's currently zero two when it comes to that. He's got to make up on the third attempt now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So from there, everybody, we now advance to episode twenty-two of season two, a Decepticon raider in King Arthur's court. I'm going to tell you now, people, this is going to be a bit of a ride for this episode, so let's go with it. Yeah, bu buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> we begin seemingly joining a battle in progress as Starscream, Rumble, Ravage, and Ramjet are in conflict with Warpath. Just Warpath. <laughs> no one else. They are knocked back by Warpath, and Starscream is about to issue a retreat when Rumble says that he can detect some energy from some some standing like stop stone pillars as it were nearby their formation resembling that of a gate or an entrance you could say ravage goes running in and starscream can now detect that there is more energy inside 
so they all follow him. Warpath, still being on their tail, ends up blocking the entrance in the form of like a cave-in, if you will. Hoist then randomly shows up and starts clearing the debris. But what's going on inside, you wonder? Well, Rumble pinpoints that the source of the energy that he could detect is on a particular stone. And it's got almost like an inscription of letters or symbols on it that glow when they are touched. Starscream, being Starscream, immediately just starts prodding at the stone. And suddenly, the blocked exit is now completely open. They proceed to leave, but unbeknownst to them, a young woman sees them leaving and is under the impression they are, quote, giant armoured knights from the Dragon Mound. We then see the Decepticons being charged at by what they immediately assume are strange Autobots, but are actually knights on horseback. That is a sentence, everybody. Let's just keep going. Who believe the Decepticons are spies from the Red Knight, and they are quickly dealt with, that being the knights on horseback. We come to find out... This is an actual name. Sir Wagand of Blackthorn is the name of the Armoured Knight and engages in conversa conversation with, quote-unquote, Starscream of Cybertron. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to keep going, Andy, so we can get through this initial preamble, otherwise we might be here for a while. <laughs> the conversation reveals that the Decepticons are now in 443 AD and the stone room must have been some kind of time transporter. The young lady, who we saw earlier, overhears this conversation, and she turns out to be the daughter of the enemy, quote-unquote, that Starscream referenced. Unfortunately, she steps on a twig, literally a twig, Ravage hears this, goes into pounce mode, and starts chasing her along with the, the knight. Starscream stops Dirge and Rumble from following as he points out to them, quote-unquote, What's more important is we have 1,451 years to go before we have to worry about the Autobots and that bungler Megatron. <laughs> the young lady suddenly bumps into Spike. Just randomly, sure. <laughs> and Ravage is coming in for an attack, but, but Ravage bumps into Warpath, bounces off, and ends up just retreating. Hoist is also randomly here, and they now follow the girl who we come to find out is called Nimily. Nimily, I did say that right. <laughs> and Hoist figures out that, that based on her clothes, they are in like 442 AD. <laughs> and she responds with a line, something to the effect of, fashion is always a year behind Camelot out in the countryside. <laughs> Andy. A lot has happened at the start of this episode. I, what's the way to put this? The premise is utterly ridiculous. The story is totally dumb. In a weird way, there is a really fun, dumb charm about this, despite it being completely balls off the off the wall. Yeah, I mean, for starters, like, kudos to you, Jeremy, for making this sound, like, far more coherent than the absolute nonsense that it actually is. <laughs> like, your description has, has maybe not quite done it justice in terms of how absolutely dumb this whole thing, like, revolving around a pound shop Stonehenge is. <laughs> but, but, but it's, like... The, the thing that kind of, like, carries this entire episode is the writing. Because, clearly, like... I. 
I don't know whether they kind of deliberately wrote this as sort of like a comedy episode or whether they were just like landed like a really stupid like well you know we want you to send the Transformers back to like King Arthur's time and they just like shrugs rolled their eyes and just like rolled their sleeves up but like the the thing that this episode does really well is it does all of its kind of characters character traits up to 11 and just runs with it so it's like Starscream isn't just kind of wannabe leader he is like absolutely amped up completely stupid wannabe leader um like Ramjet is just a complete idiot that literally just rams into things for the entire episode and like damages himself half the time um like and it, it does that really well with a lot of its characters where it just it just goes for it and it doesn't there's no restraint there's no attempt to kind of at subtlety it just you know does everything up as high as it will possibly go and just like lets it happen and that kind of is why this episode sort of works because if you tried to take any of this stuff seriously then it would just fall apart like instantly because it just doesn't really have the the chops to do it um that said the, the one thing that i do like about this is the idea that you know starscream ends up in the past and is like we're robots, we're not gonna, like, die of old age, so we can just hang out and wait around until the Autobots turn up, and, you know, we can rule the whole planet before they even land, which is quite a, an interesting kind of idea if it didn't last, like, five minutes once they realise what the major flaw in that plan is, which I guess is what we will come to. <laughs> At this point, we... I'm, I'm gonna write as how I've written this down, Andy. We then cut to Camelot? <laughs> Question mark? Because we never actually see Camelot, where Hoist is talking to a knight by the name, I think, Andy, of Sir Aidley. I really couldn't make it out that well on the audio, so I did my best with that. Who says that they are feuding with the, the other guy, as we saw a minute ago, over, quote-unquote, cows, Sir Hoist. Yeah, I mean we we have we have our outright winner for the best line in Transformers. We can stop the voting right now. Cowards toys. And again, let 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 us let us talk a little bit about the 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 very like stereotypical oldie English writing and accents for all of these characters that is again just completely overblown and just, you know, verily Sir Hoist, blah blah blah. And it's just like it's just so dumb and very eighties cartoon and it's kinda hard not to to love that sometime, especially when somebody just exclaims, cows to hoist. <laughs> they, so apparently, why did I write all this down? Apparently, the cows wandered through a break in the fence and devoured Aidley's garden. The, the, the TLDR, too long didn't read version of this, is he ain't gonna give the cows back until the fence is fixed. The other guys accuse them of stealing the cows, and now there's a dispute over who owns the land. Yeah, I mean, I, I do really love how this whole kind of, all of these machinations are basically like a subplot of the archers. And like, that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of the basis for this entire conflict. So it's like, yeah, well, this is, you know, I mean, we've talked about, you know, having a, a bit of mixing things up and having things a bit different from your typical Autobot Decepticon battles. And we got what we asked for. We now have a feud about cows, you know, trampling on someone else's field. Cows and a land grab. That's what we're on. <laughs> That's what we've come to. We also get to see Spike being fitted with armour, but his superpower of being strong or fast Andy is clearly not working in the year 542 AD. 
So Hoist begins crafting a custom suit of armor for him, just at random. Now, the reason for this is that there apparently is a jousting tournament that's been arranged. That's going to... <laughs> that, that hopefully... <laughs> the way they describe this is, we've got a tournament scheduled, but the actual reason for this is so we can get both of, like, the land leaders together and hopefully resolve this peacefully. Sure. Unfortunately, making said suit of armor has drained Hoist's energy. Oops. Oh, and Nimely proclaims Spike to be her champion and kisses him on the cheek. I'm sure Carly would be delighted to know that. Yeah, I mean, I write in massive letters at this point, good job, Carly isn't here. And I, think, <laughs> I think I actually wrote that two or three times throughout my notes in this episode because it's like, Spike, you are... You are treading on thin ice, my friend. Like, <laughs> you, should, you should cease and desist. There's also a fun moment. I don't know if you caught this, but there was a moment where, amongst all this going on, Warpath was just watching over some people practicing archery. In, just in the yeah. background. It was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's interesting lessons to be learned on both sides, I guess. Kind of, you know. I mean, what, what are tanks, if not a modern kind of archery? Hmm. What happened in that in that jousting tournament I mentioned? Spike just gets his ass handed to him pretty quickly, it's got to be said. Then Sawagend tells Aidley they must settle their dispute in battle, with the winner getting the whole countryside. Then Sir Rumble and Sir Ramjet are revealed <laughs> to be Wagend's champions, Ramjet being the horse. <laughs> War Warpath ends up being the horse for Aidley. And hoist, <laughs> and hoist is used just to be the, the the device that lifts Aidley up onto Warpath. Just his crane. This is this yeah. is top I mean, notch. Yeah, and I mean this 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 is this is what I mean about like this episode, like just kind of like winning you over with the writing because this is just utterly ludicrous and stupid but between kind of the fact that it, it puts these characters into these situations and the way it animates that. It's just hilarious, and uh, and it, it's the nice is like this this episode. It knows it's funny. It knows it's stupid, and it just goes for it. And yeah, like I mean, I I could not stop laughing at just like Rumble on top of Ramjet. It's just like that's your jousting partnerships. Like of course it makes perfect sense, but also this is the most stupid like use of Decepticon time and personnel I could possibly think of. It should be noted that Warpath wins the joust and in the process crushes Ramjet's nose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, yeah, like, Ramjet is an idiot in this episode, just, like, keeps, like, just crashing into things, you know, living up to his name, to be fair, but, you know, you are a sophisticated piece of jet engine technology, you should probably not just crash into things. Starscream arrives on the scene and is very angry that the Autobots have followed him into the world that he was going to conquer. And as I've tried to sum this up very succinctly, Andy, Starscream's also had enough of all this BS, kidnaps Nimalee, and says, surrender everything in 24 hours or never see your daughter again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I, fair play to Starscream for just being like, oh, just, I'm sick of this already. Like, I, I want out of here. <laughs> and uh, just, like, taking the necessary measures to just expedite this whole thing before it gets too out of control. Now, interestingly in all of this, yes, there is actually an interesting point in all of this now, the Transformers are running low on energy, so this means that the Decepticons can't even fly, and we basically just get jets rolling across grass to try and escape. 
It's yeah, quite a weird yeah. visual. It is. And again, like, yeah, kudos. They, they kind of sell you on this whole idea of just like, yeah, like, you know, there's, there's, we, we ain't got no power. And so like, this is the best we can do is just kind of trundle along and, and not actually take off, which, yeah, it's, it's an interesting little, little vision, a, 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 an interesting change from the, the norm here. So kudos for that. Suddenly, a wizard arrives. Yeah, <laughs> of course. What well, what else would happen at this point in this dumbass episode? Well, how about the wizard having a conversation with an owl? Has a monologue mm. to himself. Talks about there being twenty foot tall giants and walks off. Yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a shame that that we don't have like Prowl as as one of the Autobots here because then we could have Prowl versus Owl, but uh, we, can't, <laughs> we can't do that. At Wagen's Castle. I really hope that is actually his name, Wagen, because that's just how I wrote it down. I mean, it is now, if it wasn't before. <laughs> Nimely is... Nimely... That's a really difficult name to say quickly. She is locked up, <laughs> much to Wagen's protest, but Starscream makes it clear that he gives the orders now. But Starscream ain't doing too well himself, because the Decepticons are running low on Energon. Starscream is then handed a box, a literal box of treasure... For which he turns the gold into wire for his electric dynamo. Now it turns out that the way Starscream has this figured out... Andy, here is my point of reference to which I'm going with. Have you seen the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Conan the Barbarian? I have not, sadly. Okay, this may not work as a point of reference then, but I'll try. (laughs) There is... At the start of the film, there is a point where he is a really small child and he's basically put to work as a slave to like push around effectively a log that moves around Mm -hmm. in a circle to power stuff. That is what the dynamo is. And this happens for a long time in the case of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So much so he's a giant muscle hulking great beast of a man by the time he's eventually let go. Because it's been that long and he's been so diligent. That is exactly what Starscream has concocted here in the year 542 AD out of treasure. Yeah, there's there's a few things that I really love about these scenes. The first is just the whole dynamo thing in general. Like it's just it, it's it's a really great little plot twist. I'm like, haha, you've run out of power, and it's like, yeah, okay, you know, that, that's a that's a fun way of circumventing that. I also just really like the scene leading up to this, where like Starscream is really talking big about like, hey, I'm the leader now. Like I'm in charge of this planet, basically. Was propping himself up because he doesn't have enough energy to stand properly, <laughs> and he's just kind of like trying to look like he's like casually leaning on the edge of the castle like yeah you know we're just having a casual chat and then he just kind of like slides off of it because he just has no energy left and it's like you're talking a big game but not not really not really selling me on it here because you're clearly like about to run out of battery there's also the wonderful line from Starscream of faster you malingering peasants Yeah, and and plus, I mean, the the whole ensuing thing here, where like everybody kind of wants uh, wants a, a a little bit of the di- the dynamo juice, and like nobody's <laughs> Starscream not willing to let up until he gets his fill. So, Rumble and Ravage are able to get a little bit of a charge from the dynamo that you mentioned before being sent out on a supply run, as I've put it. During which time, Starscream is shot on by a bird. Mm-hmm. Important plot point, as it turns out. I thought this was just going to be random throwaway joke, just to kind of like you know, an, an, a, a fun little bit of amusement for the kids, a bit of scatological humour. But no, actual important plot point for what's about to happen. 
Wagend tries to speak to Nimali and admits that he's been an idiot and will do his best to change. During this time, also flirts with her. We move quickly in the year 542 AD. At which point, Spike scales the castle wearing his suit of armour, falls off into the moat, and <laughs> then the next time we see her, when Spike is able to eventually climb back up after a drawbridge lowers and someone else exits, she tells Spike that her and Wagend have decided to get married. Yeah, not 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 a good day in Spike World here. <laughs> we then see Rumble return from his supply run with potassium nitrate, having been crapped on a lot by birds, and even has one sitting on his shoulder. <laughs> what is this episode? <laughs> Starscream is then stirring a cauldron like he's a Wicked Witch from Macbeth or similar. And this is even though they don't... And this is because they don't have lasers, so they can't actually conduct anything at this point. But despite that, he's been able to create gunpowder, leading Andy to a battle scene. The Aidley battle party is then pummeled by explosives and such because of the creation of gunpowder now. And we effectively get a castle raid with Hoist being the drawbridge. And unfortunately, the Autobots also don't have any energy but of course at this point the Decepticons do have energy and are because of that grossly outmatched. Ravage is about to eat Spike when an owl distracts him. Then a wizard appears again, the same wizard from earlier, casts a spell giving the Autobots energy. It's not enough to give them lasers but it is enough to make them transform. The Autobots then literally use themselves as battering rams to get in the castle. Starscream having the following line when he sees that the spell has been cast of Foolish human! Magic can never defeat science! <laughs> and after destroying the dynamo, Nimali is happy and everyone lives happily ever after. The end. Oh, sorry. Small detail of getting back to the future. I forgot to mention Andy. The wizard is still on hand and understands that they must be time travellers. At least someone in his timeline smart. <laughs> As they're walking back to the Dragon Mound, you know, the place that I mentioned earlier, which, by the way, we do not hear that, that name referenced again until this very point in the episode. The wizard explains that the, it's called the Dragon Mound because he, quote-unquote, created it to use as a time-travelling device, but then a wandering dragon decided to make it his home. Yep, all, all adds up. Perfectly plausible. <laughs> The dragon had been out visiting relatives when they all arrived earlier in the episode. <laughs> Hence why they didn't see the dragon. But it's back now. But the wizard gives it a full dose of dragon's bane, which... Yes, Andy, I felt, I felt the need to note this. According to the wizard, which we don't think we actually ever find out their name either, is made of sulfur, rock salt, charcoal, and seagull droppings. I.e. gunpowder. Of this episode. We're nearly there, everyone, I promise. It explodes in the dragon's face. They go back through. And then Mega we then see Megatron for the first time in this episode. <laughs> it's, it's weird not having said the word Megatron for like 10 minutes or so. And Starscream just leaps towards him. Partly because he's so happy to see him. Megatron is not happy. Because Starscream made his aim go all skew with. And there's a wonderful moment where Starscream is like, Aren't you happy to see me? And Megatron's just going, ah! <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just like the end of some like sitcom episode or something, like not an episode of the Transformers. 
Oh, Andy, this episode. This... It's like you've summed up a few times already. This is ridiculously off the wall, but the writers own it and acknowledge all the stupidity, and that's what actually makes this a relatively good laugh I will probably never watch again. Yeah, I mean, this This is an episode, like, if, if I was in a room with a bunch of other Transformers fans and a, a, a significant amount of drink had been taken, this is absolutely, like, the the go-to episode to watch, like you know, after a few drinks, because it is, I did have a really good time watching it because it did crack me up, like, repeatedly, um, and much like, you know, talking about the previous episode of, like, trying to figure out, like, how, how did that episode get written, like, you know, what were the bullet points that they were given at the start, I really want to know how this episode came about, like I say, I want to know whether this was always meant to be a dumb comedy episode or whether the writers were just saddled with hey like the kids like king arthur today make an episode about king arthur's court and it's like they didn't even bother putting king arthur in it you know we got like off-brand merlin and that was kind of it and like a, a couple of references to camelot but like you know th this episode i i would love to know you know how this came about and you know it just it has this magical blend of feeling like the writers really didn't care at all, but also that they were kind of having a good time not caring at all. Because, like, all of its plot points are so kind of contrived, and, you know, even the whole, like, bird-dropping thing, it just sort of feels like it's just very self-aware of just how stupid it is, and that's exactly why it kind of works. Um, and so, yeah, like, all, all the way through to just, like, Starscream being kind of adorable and just giving Megatron a hug and basically like, I missed you at the end of this, <laughs> which is, you know, it's, it's, it's the nice thing sometimes when you have these dumb episodes is you can kind of do things that, you know, would just feel totally out of place in a normal episode. And it does manage to kind of, like, squeeze a few of these in as well as the kind of really dumb, cliched, like, spike love story stuff and all of that kind of thing so yeah like despite going into this being like oh god this episode like i just know this is going to be terrible i laughed a lot at this and i think that was i'd like to think that that was the intention of this episode and if so then hey it did it did what it it set out to so good on it i think this is also one of those episodes where this is a weird comparison to make but roll with me on it as it were Shrek as a franchise is it can be received in two very different ways depending on the audience. You've got the kid humor and then you've got the adult humor, which only the adults will get, but the kids won't, sort of thing. This has that feeling to it where there's a lot of side jokes that adults would get that kids probably wouldn't, and it's good fun yeah. because of that. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe that there is uh, there is a, a bit of that as well. I mean, I I think that this one kind of like also sits weirdly because there is actually. Again, the Transformers UK comics have, like, an early issue that actually involves an Autobot that, like, crash-landed in medieval times. And mm. so it's this whole, like... It's a really kind of, like, weirdly... It's basically, like, this kid, this random kid in England is, like, having nightmares about this, like, iron giant 
Um, and then it turns out that actually, you know, there's this legend in like the town that he lives in that there was this, you know, iron giant that kind of like ruled over like the land in medieval times. And then it turns out that it's an Autobot. And of course, they come and like reactivate it or it reactivates itself. I can't remember which. And then, you know, like the kid gets visited by Jazz. And it's a really kind of surreal like installment of the comic where you can't quite tell like the dream from reality um, because of the way it kind of all pans out. And it's kind of like it, it, it's kind of pretty weird but like that's that's like my previous of like Transformers in medieval times this is nothing like that <laughs> and it's just like it's just such a complete like 180 on that um but uh but yeah I don't know I I I came into this expecting to have zero fun I ended up kind of having like 90% fun so I, I guess I'm won over by this one an interesting trivia note Andy did you notice how in that entire recap we didn't mention the words Optimus Prime? Yeah, I mean, again, kind of a nice thing about episodes where they do this sort of thing is, you know, you can you can break off a, a segment of both factions and like not have any Megatron or Optimus Prime or, you know, absolutely minimise them. And again, I think it's one of the nice things about this season, having a broader scope where, you know, they go a bit further afield because whenever you do that, you have a good excuse to block off a whole bunch of the cast and say like hey no this is just about these guys they're kind of separated from everybody else um and that's kind of quite nice to to see where you just have like you know some random collection of autobots and decepticons having at it and you know you maybe have you know i mean you basically just have starscream in this episode as like the headline act basically and everyone else is just kind of like playing off of him in a sense Hmm. now the fun fact andy is before the Transformers movie, this episode, Decepticon Raider and King Arthur's Court, is one of only four episodes not to feature Optimus Prime. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost weirdly surprising that it's that many, actually, because, you know, he's such an iconic part of the series that you'd think they'd be loath to, like, leave him out entirely um, for more than, like, an episode or two. So from there, everyone, we now advance to episode 23 of season 2, The God Gambit. We begin with a panning shot across a planet in space, with a race of aliens working tirelessly, preparing harvest uh, preparing harvest offerings excuse me, for their Sky God, which appears to be a giant model statue. Just as one alien is being scolded for how poor their offering is, a group led by a female that we come to find out is named... Now, Andy, I'm going to say this now. It's either Terraria or Teleria, but I heard both versions of the name said in this episode. So unless you've got a definitive naming on your side, I'm going with the former. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was Terraria, but I didn't actually write it down. So, uh, cool. yeah, that, 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 that works for me. <laughs> cool. Good. I'm glad. So Terraria and co. infiltrate the control room, for want of a better phrase, where the statue's arms, which are being controlled by pulley ropes, are located. They destroy all the mechanisms and the statue goes crumbling down. Quote-unquote from Terraria, Jero, your sky god is an excuse for high taxes and harsh laws, and then further admonishes what tomfoolery of a concept the sky god is. Gonna say this now, Jero is not Dr. Jero, Android 20 from Dragon Ball Z. I did have that moment, but it's not. (laughs) We then cut back to space where Cosmos is being chased and attacked by Astro Train, also carrying a few of the Seeker Jets. 
trying to capture the energy-based data that Cosmos has collected. Cosmos is hit by an ionic blast and crash lands in a place where the inhabitants on this planet we've just been talking about are still going back and forth about the existence of sky gods. Of course, Cosmos' arrival adds further confusion to the whole anti-sky godders conversation, and the people who Terraria was trying to free are now further confused because there is clearly a sky god. Or is there? Astro Train, Starscream, and Thrust land at the temple, and Astro Train has a plan of posing as their Sky God, much to Starscream's annoyance because he thinks he can be a better god. Gonna pause there for a second, Andy. There's a fair amount to take in there. It's like I mentioned at the top of this episode of the podcast. I had an idea of where this was gonna go, and up to about this point, it's roughly what I was imagining. But so far, like, the setup's been perfectly logical. It's just, by Transformers standards, it's very weird that we never find out the name of this planet. It's, well, it's a really fascinating thing that this kind of, like, you know, plays with. And, and then I find the, the writing of this episode fascinating for, for a, a number of reasons. And, and that, that is one of them, because, I mean, that actually gets referenced later on, where, like, you know, Terraria gets asked, like, you know, what planet is this? And she's like what's a planet, basically, which kind of makes sense. Like, you know, if you were, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know my history enough to know, like, was Earth called Earth when we didn't know we were part of a solar system and stuff? Like, you know, when you are just on a thing and you exist, like, why would you have a concept of planets and things? Um, so, you know, it kind of, it makes weird sense and it, there's a really interesting through line there. Um, the other thing that is really interesting about the writing of, of like this initial part of this episode is, I mean, again, you know, pe people have kind of cited like old cartoons of this sort of era being like, see, they didn't have politics in cartoons back in those days. This is literally an episode that is talking about like these two factions on this planet accusing one of them of having like high taxation because, you know, kids love talking about taxes in their cartoons. <laughs> Um, and, you know, and it has this very, very deliberate US political angle. Like, you know, bear in mind, this was written in the era of Ronald Reagan. Um, and, you know, there is a very clear political bent to this. And the two factions within it are very clearly set up as kind of effectively Republicans and Democrats, just alien versions. Um, and, you know, and then it kind of adds in the whole religion angle on top of that, which is kind of feels really brave, actually, for a US cartoon to kind of go and set up this overtly like anti-religious faction that is just like all of this stuff that you're spouting and preaching you're just using as an excuse for your politics and by the way like science is here and it says that all of this stuff that you're spouting is nonsense and like to have that be the foundation of an episode of a kids cartoon in the 80s is like kind of mind-blowing um, and so I found this like really fascinating from the get-go is just like a really kind of brave and out there episode that I mean again much like we're talking about the last episode where you've got kind of something for the kids something for the grown-ups like you know this it has hey look the the robots are gonna fight but at the same time it's like by the way let's talk about you know sociopolitics for a little while while the kids are distracted by Astro Train being kind of cool mm. um and uh, yeah so that that is all really interesting um, and I guess also fascinating that, you know, basically this entire planet has kind of like its politics are 
are, are, are founded and seeded by some random model kit that they found and thought, that must be a god. Um, I, I want to know the origin story of the actual Sky God and how that came about, but I'm just assuming that, like, you know, somebody accidentally dropped a, an Astro Train toy on the planet and they're like, oh, this must be, this must be <laughs> a sign from the heavens. Well, that's another interesting thing as well is this is also, if you want to go even deeper on what you've just been talking about, it's also questioning the existence of God as a concept. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it absolutely like it really goes hard, and that, and that isn't just kind of a throwaway thing at the start of this. That is kind of like the underpinning of this entire episode. Is kind of like is God real? Which is kind of like, yeah, we've just been like from not King Arthur's court, and now suddenly we're tackling these big existential questions. Like, there's quite a big tonal shift going on here. But like, yeah, I just find it super fascinating to have an episode like this crop up. Astro Train makes himself known to the inhabitants, of which, for the record, we never actually find out what this species is called either, so I will be referring to them quite a lot as inhabitants. And proclaims himself their god, where everyone will obey or die. Hi god, how you doing? <laughs> obey me or die. <laughs> yeah, very much in the Old Testament vein is Old Astro Train. <laughs> now, interesting to note here, that both Starscream and Thrust aren't happy about being Astro Train's subordinates in this scenario. But based on the dialogue between the two, it indicates that Astro Train is actually far stronger than both Thrust and Starscream, and that they cannot beat him easily. I thought that was a nice little tiny bit of extra info when it came to establishing Astro Train as a character. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting little bit of Decepticon politics of like, yeah, like how that sort of, that hierarchy works. Because, you know, I mean, we've seen a bunch of new Autobots and Decepticons introduced throughout this series. And like, for the most part, they're just sort of part of the mix. And to have like Astro Train be very clear, and, and it sort of ties into, you know, we've seen a bit of him in previous episodes being pretty powerful and being a problem for the Autobots. And so it's kind of, yeah, it's interesting to see that followed through to the point where Starscream kind of tries to argue his point of, like, I should be the god here, and then just basically stands down immediately because he realises he doesn't actually have the chops to follow through if that were to come to blows. And everyone else is just like, all right, if you're going to be the god, then I guess there's nothing we can do about it. So go go for it. And, I mean, it does... you. The Sky God does just so happen to look like Astro Train, so I guess, you know, <laughs> fair play. Now, inside the temple, Cosmos's unconscious body, effectively, is taken in there and just put on, like, a giant plinth, if you will. And Astro Train immobilizes him and, in the process, retrieves the data that they were trying to get in that space chase I mentioned earlier. However, Terraria sees this occur from a hidden vantage point. Additionally, Astro Train has used up so much of his energy chasing Cosmos that Thrust actually suggested calling Megatron, but Astro Train basically says, No, I'm in control! We've also become aware at this point that because of the amount of energy he has lost, the Decepticons are stuck on the planet. And Astro Train says, That's only a problem until I can break Cosmos's code. So there's a lot of moving parts here, Andy, but I like the fact that we've established that even though they're now stuck on this planet, they've, they've got their own problems as well to deal with on that front. 
Yeah, in, indeed. And I feel like we, we might need to set up a new square on the bingo card for Cosmos has been kidnapped. <laughs> twice in three episodes now. Like, you know, I, I, correlation is not causation, but like there is there is definitely a trend that I'm beginning to spot here, which again is that Cosmos is kind of rubbish because <laughs> once again, he has failed in his mission. And like, I love I love the guy, I love the toy, but Cosmos, you're not, you know, you're not doing it for Optimus Prime here. Now, at this point, Cosmos's unconscious body is just alone. And we see Terraria re- reconnect the circuit that was disconnected. And immediately, we see a communication appear from Optimus Prime on like a little chest viewer, if you will. And Terraria is confused by all this, but relays the information that Cosmos is hurt, but doesn't know, as you mentioned, Andy, the na- what the name of their planet is, because she doesn't understand what that is as a concept. Except, at this point, Prime is able to direct her to hit a button which sends out a signal beacon. Unfortunately, Astro Train immediately picks up the signal and is none too happy about it. Yeah, and and, and, and we should just say at this moment, Transformers has just invented the Apple Watch. Right? Like, you know, it's just like emergency contact number, you know, like Cosmos has had a heavy fall and the the, the Apple Watch is there to contact the relevant people to send for help. So Transformers way ahead of its time. There's a lot happening in this episode. (laughs) Terraria is about to be captured by the Decepticons, but Cosmos is able to lend some brief assistance before being struck down again by Astro Train. You're doing a really good job here, Cosmos. Fair play. Back on Earth, Omega Supreme is getting ready to launch, but makes it known it will require 97% of his energy output to get there, and he will be unable to transform on arrival. Perceptor and Jazz volunteer to accompany Omega Supreme, though Optimus Prime was originally going to go, but I think in some ways, quite rightly, Andy, they say, Prime, no offence, we can't risk you being lost out there or anything. We need you here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, given the guy's track record of almost dying in, in action, you know, probably this is not the mission for you, Optimus Prime. <laughs> Some fun quotes here, Andy, as we sort of lead up to this moment when it's decided those two will be taking up the mantle of going on this trip. Perceptor says, I'm the only one capable of deciphering Cosmos's data. Jazz says, and me? I just like kicking Decepticon cans. At which, yeah, point, I mean- at which point Omega Supreme says, talk excessive. Time limited. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do like Omega Supreme's like no nonsense. Like, can we just get on with this, please? But also, you know, that that's a good that's a good balanced team formation of just like you know brains and brawn, right there, and then just like big robot spaceship. So you know, <laughs> brains and brawn and Omega Supreme, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so the three Autobots head off bound for the planet. On said planet, Jero leads the Decepticons to the Fire God's Lair, as its phrase, that has crystals which are supercharged and, as it is described by Starscream, the perfect power source for the Decepticons. Though the other locals aren't too happy about this, as apparently the crystals are very taboo, which Jero, I hate to say it, Andy, he's got a point here, responds with taboo to a god. <laughs> It's kind of one of the very few lines where I actually agree with the antagonist in a sentence. Yeah, yeah, it is It is a fair point well made. 
Omega Supreme arrives, but has to crash land due to running out of energy, as mentioned a few moments ago, and makes it known he needs Cosmos in order to be able to move from the cliff edge he is at best, Andy, very precariously balancing on, because he he's more than just precariously balancing on it, due to the strength that is required. Which leads to the following lines of dialogue. Jazz. We'll find Cosmos and his energy source, then come back for you. Just don't move. And Omega Supreme says, sarcasm not appreciated. Yeah, I mean, Omega Supreme getting all the good lines in this episode. Like, I, I made a note of that one as well as like my favourite line of, of this instalment. Back in the Fire God Layer, the inhabitants, or slaves at this point, are being made to move the crystals, which Starscream now identifies as having a fragile matrix. Terraria comes across Perceptor and Jazz and begins attacking them because, quite simply, she's done with all the BS that these giant robots have been embarking on the, her people. But they are able to reason with her and she leads them to Cosmos. At that moment, Starscream and Thruster discover them and we get a firefight starting up, with Starscream and Jazz notably going at it one-on-one. -on -one. But Astro Train arrives and ultimately both Jazz and Perceptor are pummeled via the use of some of the fragile, fragile crystals just being dumped on them like bombs, quite frankly. And they are sent into a ravine. Check on the bingo card now if you had Autobots into a ravine. And Terraria is captured. While hiding from the Seeker Jets, Perceptor and Jazz come across the cave that I mentioned where all the crystals are. But they have an encounter with other inhabitants who come to realise that they have been had by the Decepticons. They have been duped and they, they realise that they should have listened to Terraria. It turns out the crystals are made from electric lava, which Perceptor takes some of to go and recharge Omega Supreme. Andy, electric lava. I mean, who, who are we to say how science works on other planets? <laughs> like, maybe maybe that's the thing. I mean, my favourite part of this whole thing is when Perceptor and Jazz, like, discover these crystals. Perceptor is very clear about the fact that they are highly unstable. So Jazz just starts hitting it with a rock. <laughs> and that's like his, oh, really? Oh, let me... Are you sure? Like, Are you no. sure, scientist? Clang, clang. Yeah, like which seems, I mean, again, this seems to be a recurring thing with the Autobots where they find something that's highly unstable and just hit it or shoot at it just to check. And it's like, God, I mean, Perceptor must be in a constant state of like despair. Like, I told you this is unstable. It's like, it's like Red Alert doing? in the last podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just like always every week. I mean, again, you can see why the Autobots health and safety track record is so poor because, you know, they're constantly making these terrible decisions. I, I also randomly have a note here that happened at some point earlier in this episode where I think Starscream was basically just juggling and I can't remember the context <laughs> for it, but I was just impressed that Starscream can juggle. I, I, I must have missed that. I genuinely don't remember that happening. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember whether it was like with the crystals or with something else, but there's definitely a point where he just kind of like juggles some stuff for a bit. And, you know, given, given the name of this podcast, we need to give all of Starscream's abilities the sufficient kudos. So Starscream can juggle. Please make note. <laughs> Add that to your list, everyone. <laughs> now, I mentioned that Terraria was captured. We are now about to see her be sacrificed, as you imagine a sacrifice would happen in an old ha Hammer Horror film. At this point, Jazz arrives and saves her, even getting a brief one-up on the Decepticons in the process too. But then, Omega Supreme arrives, having been 
very precariously recharged, it must be said, by Perceptor, and forces a Decepticon retreat, Astro Train nearly landing in the electric lava in the process. Astro Train then decides if no that if they can't have the crystals, nobody can have the crystals. So starts blowing them up, setting off a chain reaction and causing a volcanic eruption, then retreating with Starscream and Thrust. Jero tries to get on board, but Astro Train eloquently tells him, Die like the worm you are. <laughs> the volcano explodes, and the Autobots are able to help all of the inhabitants bar Jero? I don't know, I didn't see him, but sure. Uh, out of the eruption's path, and the episode ends happily, despite the fact the inhabitants realise they're going to have to rebuild from scratch. But they're perfectly content with that, given everything that's happened. Yeah, I mean, I legit, there was a, a moment here where I thought that Astro Train was literally just going to blow up the entire planet with these crystals, and I thought, oh man, this is going to get, like, dark, are they just going to, like, wipe out the population? But no, it turns out it was just part of it, and yeah, like, the, the, the dark side of it is, as you alluded to, kind of, it's unclear what happens to Jero at the end of this. And whether he is, he actually just dies, like, or, or whether he is somehow, like, rescued by somebody. So who, who can <laughs> say? So there we go. There's been a lot to unpack in that episode. And like we said, Andy, going in when this started, my expectations were low. But by the end of it, this was a solid story. Obviously some very far-fetched things. But as we've said numerous times, this is a kid's cartoon. But I thought this handled everything actually very well and was actually a very plausible story in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, you know, it, it has this really interesting setup and the kind of premise that it does sort of run with throughout the episode, like the sort of the back and forth of its politics does kind of continue to rumble on even when, you know, it's it's just sort of more traditional Transformers fare. And yeah, like even beyond that, it's kind of, you know, it's it's a decent little showcase episode for Astro Train where like you say you kind of get a, a good viewpoint of him as actually like on the stronger end of the Decepticon spectrum um you get a bit more Omega Supreme who it turns out has a has a good uh, a, a good line of of uh, witty one-liners um and the other random thing that happens in this episode is we get some new interstitial eye catches for the first was time. Was literally going to just mention them, so I'll let you take the reins on that. Which was yeah, like I can't, I can't even remember who they are because I was so excited, like oh we're different. Oh, um, I, I can tell you, we got Shockwave and Grimlock, then we got Devastator and Astro Train, and then there was one final one as well of Omega Supreme. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shock. I, I think that's why I didn't write them down because I was so excited that there was a shockwave one. I know, right? <laughs> and I saw him. It's like shockwave. <laughs> yeah, and, and then like you know, Gr Grimlock. After that, it was a real treat. So, uh, so yeah, that was that was kind of a cool little like. Oh, I don't think I've ever because I've seen like you know the initial set of eye catches a bazillion times. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen these like different ones. So it's just like you know a new a new experience. I mean, we ended up going back to the old ones in the next episode, so... Yeah, and then they went back to the old ones, which was kind of disappointing. I thought we were all set for, like, a whole series of new ones, but uh, but no, we were, you know, I was being greedy, I guess. <laughs> so, interesting trivia note for you from this episode. This is the first episode where Frank Welker doesn't voice anybody. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. No, no, no Megatron and yeah, like a lot of the other characters that he, he normally voices all uh, taking a breather. Uh, I mean, makes you wonder whether this was like, this episode was just like his summer vacation or something. <laughs> and they're like, look guys, we've got a very specific request for this episode. No Frank Welker characters. He's on holiday. Like, don't 
disturb him. And so that's how this episode came about. That's probably not how that happened, but I'd like to imagine that's how it happened. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's ever asked him at that, that panel, why weren't you a voice in this episode? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting as well because, you know, you've got these kind of, you know this whole alien planet of you know alien inhabitants so it does kind of suggest that he wasn't around at all otherwise you might have got him to like you know voice you know one, one of the one of the characters there just to, to you know give him something to do so maybe he was actually legit on holiday from there everyone we now progress to our final episode of this week's podcast episode 24 of season two the core we begin seemingly at a secret underground drilling base of the Decepticons. On your bingo card, check off a new base if you want to, where the Constructicons are drilling into the ground. But the ground begins to give way, and the Constructicons have to quickly do some handiwork to patch up the literal giant cracks in the ground. Megatron is less than impressed by this. Starscream, even less so. Scavenger is ordered to go to the surface and get his geological analyzer circuits checked. We then come to find out Megatron's plan is to tap into the Earth's core, quote Andy, an energy source richer than any in the galaxy. Yeah, stop, stop, stop as if you've heard that one before, because I'm, I'm pretty sure we've had a few things labelled that in this series. If on your bingo card you had the richest energy source in the galaxy... <laughs> But Starscream is very weary of this plan, explaining in actually quite a really well-done way. Like, he kind of grabs a bit of rock from the wall, makes it into a boulder shape, and then just blows it up and explains the Earth could shatter like a boulder. I actually really like that as a visual cue. It, it made Starscream's scientific background really come to the forefront once again. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it did also make me laugh. It's like, the Earth is a sphere, like this boulder. It's like, well, okay... <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you for explaining what a sphere looks like, Starscream. I'm sure the Constructicons had no prior knowledge of that. But yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting to be, you know, as Starscream as former scientist to give the science talk. Like, I don't think, you know, he'll be getting a, a place at, a, at any university giving lectures anytime soon. But, you know, as as, as Decepticon physics goes, you know, he's, he's, he's up there. I've just had this really weird theory of what if a flat earther was watching this episode? <laughs> you know, just, just writing in like, Starscream got it wrong. <laughs> Megatron then leads Starscream to the surface where we find out there is a secret space bridge set up should the need arrive to escape the Earth. And it is being hidden by a hologram. We then cut to Jazz, Gears, Sunstreaker, Prowl, and Mirage, who have stumbled into a ravine, check in the bingo card, that, that used to be a river, but it's not now. They follow the path and discover the flow of water has been diverted by some of the Constructicons. They go to follow them, with Scavenger's circuits now having been fixed, but they very quickly lose track of them. But for the first time in a while, Andy, it feels like at this point, we see Laserbeak! And Laserbeak does what Laserbeak does, and that's spot Autobots and report it to Soundwave and Megatron. Devastator then makes an appearance to take out the Autobot party and is able to throw all of them off of the cliff edge that they were at into the waterfall's water below. That was bad English, but there you go. But Mirage is able to hang on to a branch and make himself scarce by 
using his mirage-like ability of disappearing, and happens to stumble into the new Decepticon base before going to help out his comrades take on Devastator, and at that point manages to, as I've described it, Andy, recreate the downing of an attack using a snow speeder from the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm... I suspect that they kind of stole that idea directly from Star Wars. Like, sometimes we reference things in this podcast and be like, oh, wait, no, actually, Transformers did it first. I don't think that's the case with this particular one. So I think we can we can give that one to Star Wars. Um, but also, having just, like, saluted Starscream for his scientific ability, turns out he still doesn't understand how holograms work. Because he just, like, freaks out of, like, you're just going to walk into a wall, you're going to... Oh, you've gone through the wall, how does this work? And it's like, it's a hologram, Starscream. You've seen them, like, about six times in this series thus far. Um, also, like, not sure... I assume this is still just the space bridge, and that they just keep moving it, that they've not built another space bridge, but that's not made entirely clear. It really isn't important, but for some reason I got hung up on that, of like, wait, is this the space bridge? Is this still the same one? Or is there a new, another space bridge now? I want to say it was a new space bridge, because I think the wording of it implied it's at, like we've had a space bridge set up. Yeah, that was the thing. They called it a space bridge, not the space bridge. And I was like, does that mean you have more than one now? Or is it just like, I don't know. I know this is, this is completely inconsequential to everything, but now I must know how many space bridges there are. <laughs> At the Autobot base, the Autobots are realising a tough predicament that is ahead of them. Most notably, Devastator. But then for the first time in a hot minute, Chip Chase is randomly in the building, also sporting a fancy new blue jacket. Just saying and appears to suggest that they can use a device that him and Wheeljack have created called a Dominator Disc to override Devastator's circuits and bring Devastator under their control. As I mentioned, because as mentioned, he's been identified, Devastator is, as being the big problem in the situation. The idea being, they need to put one on each of the Constructicons, and when they combine, they should, quote-unquote, have control. We cut to a night time and an Autobot raiding party, as I've written down. Ironhide freezes the water above the giant drill that I mentioned earlier, which causes the machine to overheat and bring out the Constructicons to investigate what has happened. Discs are planted on them, each in various ways, without them respectively realising. And then the Autobots make a quick escape. But Starscream spots them from afar and is about to snipe them out of the, 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 the carrier lifter grabber thing. I can't think of the right words, but you know what I mean. The thing they're going to escape in. When Megatron stops him. Because somehow, Andy, he is aware of the Autobots' plan to control Devastator. How? Something, I mean, I'm just assuming that, again, Laserbeak has taken up residency in the arc. Probably has his own, like, suite. His own, like, penthouse suite there. Because, I mean, it seems like he's always, like, around hanging about. So I'm guessing... If, if ever Megatron knows about anything, I'm just guessing Laserbeak at this point in time. Um, also trying to remember, like, the whole Dominator disc thing. Is that what they were called when they had that technology in Season 1? Because there, like, there was that episode where, like, Chip and Wheeljack, like, made the 
discs that that kind of like I guess they just like they they were disruptors, weren't they? Rather than actually like taking control, so they're maybe a bit so. different. But it kind of felt like it was sort of like a version of that technology mm. where they they kind of you know they they use that stuff. So I kind of liked that that felt like some kind of callback to what happened in in season one. Um, I'm I'm also wor- wondering now whether Chip's fancy new jacket is just an animation error or whether he actually had a new jacket. <laughs> Important <laughs> questions. <laughs> Now, at this point, the Autobots are escaping because, as mentioned, Megatron has stopped Starscream from taking them out. But this is because they're instead going to launch an all-out ambush, splitting the Autobots into various different parties and and making them all alone in various ways. Devastator then appears and begins causing havoc. But Chip and Wheeljack, at that moment, activate the Dominator disc and Devastator comes to a halt. And, be- and obeys a command from Optimus Prime and begins attacking the Decepticons, with Devastator causing a cave-in at the base's entrance. With them having no access to water, that being the Decepticons, I should clarify, Prime says they can't do anything more to drill, and we don't need to clear up this mess right now. Let's all go back to HQ. And they do that with Devastator. Would you not just finish the job, Andy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they they sort of make a half-hearted, like, you know, blah, blah, we don't have enough energy kind of, like, excuse for it to try and kind of give a good reason for it. But yeah, it seems like, and I mean, again, like, talk about famous last words, like, I've not got any water, like, it's, it's not like they're going to do something really, like, stupid and destructive to the planet instead to, you know, continue their plan, because, you know, the Decepticons would never do that, so it'll be fine. <laughs> Inside the Decepticon base, we come to find out that Megatron has an electronic disruptor to bring Devastator back under their control. They also have enough water stored up to continue their drilling. Oops, Prime, just saying. The drilling resumes and earthquakes begin just as the Constructicons are actually assisting Wheeljack and Co. inside the base, doing some welding on Jazz. I felt the need to quote the Decepticon. Uh, that, that said the following, Andy. Of course I did it. I could perform flawlessly to within one five hundred thousandth of a Cybertronic mini-inch. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of words to say. You know, I'm very precise. <laughs> and of course, because of all the earthquakes, the Autobots immediately realise what's going on. They roll out, but Megatron is spying on them through Devastator's eyes. Devastator leads the charge inside the Decepticon base, but Megatron activates his device, overriding the Autobots' Dominator discs, and thus making him evil again. They then begin battering the Autobots, Chip getting trapped inside a small little cave-in in in the process. The drill is nearing Earth's core, and everything begins to cave in. Chip is then saved by Sunstreaker, but everything is just going out of control. More specifically, Devastator is going out of control because of the various overrides that are going on. It's basically fried his logic chip, as Wheeljack explains. The base is totaled, but Devastator and the Decepticons are making for the space bridge. Well, I say the Devastator and the Decepticons. The Decepticons leave. Devastator realises they leave, but he just comes up through the ground, through the space bridge, thus (laughs) rendering it useless, Andy. (laughs) 
Yeah, it, 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 weird, like, wait a minute, I don't think this is deliberate foreshadowing, but when I saw where that space bridge was, it, I just had a feeling that somebody, somebody was gonna just, like, smash through, like, the rock underneath at some point and ruin everything, and so it proved. Clearly I've watched too much Transformers at this point, especially after that New York episode last week where, you know, e- every plot point involved, like, you know, making a hole and making things fall through it. I guess <laughs> I was just, like, I was prepared for this moment. It's like, yep, I know what's gonna happen here. <laughs> we then get a weird team-up scenario here. Weird team-up of the week, I'm going to call it, Andy, if you want to add that to the bingo card, where Wheeljack, Chip, and Megatron work together to equal out the frequencies of their respective devices to nullify them. And they do that. The Constructicons are then back to normal. They then reform into Devastator to try and stop the drill from penetrating more of the earth. They just basically dive into the hole and stop it barehanded. It's a really cool visual from Dev- from Devastator. At this point, Megatron is basically just like, we're screwed, I'm out of here, and runs away. And when Devastator has destroyed the drill bit and comes back up, the Autobots explain that, that Megatron turned tail and turned tail, excuse me, and ran away. And Devastator is seemingly shocked and a bit upset, but then just goes, huh, no, he's just retreated to think of his next plan to take you on. And then flies away. And I mean, he's not wrong, because I'm sure next, <laughs> next episode, Megatron will have a plan to take on the Autobots. And that's basically where the episode concludes, everyone. I appreciate it sounds like I've rushed through that ending. That's that's pretty much how it happened verbatim, Andy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a kind of a solid episode. Like, it doesn't really... It doesn't. This is almost like a, a very traditional kind of like more almost feels like a season one kind of episode where it's pretty, it's pretty you know to to the point. Decepticons want energy. They've latched some scheme to hatch some scheme to do it, and then there's just a bunch of machinations around that. And it's kind of it's it's quite fun. It sort of you know doesn't really do anything with. I mean, it's also weirdly traditional like. The, you don't really get to see a lot of kind of the newer characters here. Like this is very much like classic roster Transformers as well for the most part. Um, and so it sort of, it feels weirdly like a bit of a throwback of just, you know, having a bunch of time with, you know, the the, 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 the old school Transformers as they are at this point. Um, but yeah, I know this was fine. Like I didn't, I, I really didn't make a whole lot of notes about this one because it was all just kind of, you know, it, it had a beginning, a middle and an end, and it was all decent enough, but it didn't really have anything that made it make the you know, made it stand out like some of the other episodes we've had recently. Agreed. It's it's a fine episode. It's not, not special, but it's just, you know, it's there. It does its job. It's not offensive in any way. It's, it's compared to the freaking King Arthur episode, which should have been. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah. perfect perfectly fine. Yeah, it, it it feels. I think as well, like the placement of this episode, it feels like quite a come down because you've had the outright comedy of you know King Arthur's Court, and you've had the sort of like the 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 deeper fair, and you know just the fact that we were in space for an episode on an alien planet of of you know the the previous episode of the God Gambit, and so this sort of feels like a real sort of come down in a lot of ways, you know, come back down to earth, right into its core, as it turns out. Indeed. So that wraps up that episode, everyone. Next time, we will be talking about episodes 25 through 28 of season two. They being the following episodes, Andy. Make Tracks, The Autobot Run, 
The Golden Lagoon Quest for Survival. Mm. I heard the Autobot run, and I don't know why. The first thing I thought of was, like, Logan's run. <laughs> Which I'm yeah. pretty sure we're not getting. Yeah, if if if, if this is... I, I, I think my first thought was, like, it's more like Cannonball Run, but I don't think it's that either. So <laughs> I guess we will we, we, we will we will see. What was the name of that final episode again? Because I feel like that one that I might actually have seen. Quest for Survival. Quest for Survival. Yeah, that just rings a bell with me, so I'll be curious as to whether that's one that I actually ended up watching somehow. I mean, it's also an incredibly generic name for any, like, cartoon episode, to be fair. <laughs> so I could be completely misremembering that. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, I know that could be could be an interesting batch and not not, not a, a medieval reference insight. <laughs> and that about wraps up this episode, everyone. Thank you very much for watching and or listening today. As mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to reach out to us on social media, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter. We are under the username at StarScreamsPod. And if you want to drop us an email, you can do so on the email address StarScreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. And as mentioned before, all the episodes that we are watching are on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. So make sure you look that up so you can be up to date on all the episodes that we'll be watching in the order we are watching them as well. And finally, as I have also said quite a few times at this point as well on various episodes, there is a video version of this podcast. So if you've been listening to the audio-only version, why not check out the video version on our YouTube channel? Search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast and you should find us just fine. Andy, before we wrap up today, any additional random notes or thoughts you have on the episode or anything at all that we have encountered? No, no, I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to go build a dynamo and power myself, I guess. <laughs> so I will, uh, I don't know how to respond to that, quite frankly. Um, so I'll, I'll end with a bit of a trivia note, which is a bit of a, a, a somber one, I will say, but I'm going to just read. This is from the, from the Transformers wiki. I wanted to give credit here. Optimus Prime's last line in the episode The Core, quote-unquote, the future is built on dreams. This line is noticeable because it's Peter Cullen's word of encouragement to a young fan of Optimus Prime in real life dying of a terminal illness. Oh, wow. To this day, when interviewed about this line, Cullen will invariably be moved to tears by its memory. Such was his love for the child. Uh, such was his love for the child, excuse me. A true man amongst men, if there ever was one. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, you know, P Peter Cullen is kind of a legend for a reason, and it's not just that he's good at doing voices. And yeah, it's kind of... He clearly kind of, you know, Optimus Prime's role clearly meant some a lot to him, and I think that's the kind of reason why, you know, being able to... To, to, to kind of reach out and, and, you know, kind of touch people's lives in that way, and it's really cool that... He used it in, in some of the ways that he did with doing stuff like that, because that's pretty damned awesome. Mm, completely agree. With that being said, everyone, I've been Jeremy Graves. He's been Mr. Andy Hanley. You've been listening to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>